Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome back. It's another edition of Radio Free Acton. Good to have you along on the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. My name is Mark Vandermoss, your host on Radio Free Acton. Always good to be with you here on the podcast. Uh, if you have not done so already, bookmark blog.acton.org uh, for the Acton Institute Power Blog. Lots of great stuff there on a daily basis. Radio.acton.org is the place to go for our audio archives. Well, the world is a complex place, even in the best of times, even in times where peace prevails. Uh, when you get a couple billion people together and each of them pursuing their individual goals and electing governments of their uh, their individual countries and uh, all of those countries relating to one another, the world is a complex place. But uh, add in a little bit of strife, or a lot of strife, and uh, things get even more complex and uh, and difficult to manage and sometimes very difficult to keep track of. Uh, if you look at the world today, as we record this, uh, there's of course crisis in the Middle East with uh, the ongoing conflict in Iraq and Syria involving ISIS, the Islamic State uh, terrorist group. Uh, and uh, as we record, of course, yesterday uh, on uh, that'll be March 3rd, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu Israeli Prime Minister uh, addressed the United States Congress about his concerns over the Obama administration's ongoing negotiations with the state of Iran. Uh, So you can throw that on the pile of domestic political controversies that uh, are happening in the United States. That, of course, involving international relations. But beyond that, there's the immigration problem here in the United States and the question of whether the executive actions that have been taken by the Obama administration are uh, even legal. Uh, There are, uh, beyond the Middle East abroad, there are problems in Europe uh, dealing with uh, the Ukraine, uh, the ongoing conflict in Ukraine between Ukraine and, uh, really, Ukraine and Russia. Uh, And and right now, what we're going to focus on in this edition of the podcast are the ongoing European financial issues that have been plaguing the continent since roughly the financial crisis of 2008, the low-grade sort of financial crisis that's just continued on since that time. Um, And most recently, uh, it has uh, revealed itself again in the nation of Greece. Uh, Greece, of course, uh, just had an election and elected an explicitly left-wing government that ran on a very populist platform, rejecting the austerity measures that had been imposed upon the country by the European Central Bank in order to get some uh, bailout help in the in the not-too-distant past. And uh, it looked like we were going to have another confrontation between Greece and the EU. Or between, and it looked like we were about to have another confrontation between Greece and the EU. And we indeed had something of a confrontation. And we're here today uh, with a guest from the Acton Institute to talk about everything that just went down uh, between the European Central Bank, the European Union, and the nation of Greece. Well, I'm joined today in the Acton Studios by uh, Todd Heisiger. Todd, uh, first of all, welcome. This is your first trip down to the Acton Studios, your first time on Radio Free Acton, so welcome. Thank you very much, Mark. A little background on Todd. I mean, we could give your full bio. I was reading it over before, but I we do have a time limit on these podcasts, so I'll just kind of do a thumbnail sketch here. Todd has a lot of experience in the international arena. He is Uh, A former U.S. diplomat, he worked in that arena from 1992 through 2012. Uh, Deputy Chief of Mission at the U.S. Embassy in Luxembourg, political counselor at the U.S. Mission to the European Union in Brussels, 
Uh, I see Hamburg, Munich, uh, Monterey, Mexico, Washington, D.C., lots of different places and lots of different experiences in the world of uh, international diplomacy. And now you're here at Acton as, uh, what, what is your title again here? You're our international Exactly. I'm the Director of International Outreach is my official title. See, when you get into a bio this long, sometimes you realize you didn't actually write down the, the exact title. Right. And so, you know, the Director of International Outreach here at the Act, and you, you've just reached your first anniversary working here at Act, and you came on board a year ago, so congratulations on that as well. Thank you. Uh, Todd, we're here to talk today about Greece and the European uh, common market, the European common currency, the euro, and what's going on right now in Europe. Now, this is one of those topics that a lot of people will, uh, I, I think a lot of people have sort of a, a peripheral understanding of. It's just something that's happening off on the side, uh, in, especially in an American worldview. In, on a day-to-day -day basis, we don't follow closely what happens with the European Central Bank and Greece and all of these different uh, countries in Europe that are, that are trying to get their currency together. And yet it's, it's an important issue. It's something that we really need to have at least a, a, a basic understanding of because Europe is important to the United States and, and we, should, uh, we should try to have a little bit of a depth of understanding of what's going on there. So the question, the first question that I have for you is it, it involves Europe as a whole. Europe, of course, has a common currency, the euro. Uh, that's been around for, for a while now. But why does Europe have a common currency? What is the euro? What is the European uh, Monetary Union? Why did that come to be? Well, first of all, let me just say that um, in reference to what you were saying about um, people not understanding exactly what's going on in Europe, I think that's uh, a thing that's just as common to Europeans <laughs> as it is to Americans. Um, People absolutely cannot be blamed for not having a full understanding of the European Union because the European Union is incredibly complex. It's filled with contradictory you know, beliefs and contradictory agendas that are going on, differences between the different member states and so forth. So um, understanding the European Union is, is, a, is a real task. Um, why the euro? This is another thing that I think is, is very interesting. You'd assume that the reason for the euro is an economic reason. After all, it's a currency, and you're talking about buying and selling things. But really, the reason for the euro, and this is, I, I think, a key to understanding the euro, and in many ways a key to understanding what's happening now in Greece, the euro is a political project. The euro is not primarily an economic project. The euro was introduced... Basically, and people said this quite openly, this was not hidden. The euro was introduced as part of the long uh, march toward European integration, toward the integration of the sovereign states of Europe that started happening after World War II. Sure. Um, basically, what people thought is, if we want Europe to be truly unified, we need to have a common currency. Also, they were thinking... It's really not working as we'd planned, that the Europeans are growing more and more close together, um, that the Europeans are thinking of themselves more as Europeans than as Dutch or German or Dane or whatever. That was not happening. And this is all in the wake of the world wars is what you're – I think that's the context in which they were hoping this Absolutely. integration would happen. Absolutely. By this time, we're talking about the 1980s, the early 90s, by the way. But yes, sure. this is all in the wake of World War II. So uh, European leaders thought, okay, um, we really 
we need some sort of way to try to to try to bring about a European identity. And one of those ways that they that they uh, came up with was to introduce a common currency um, to the European Union countries. And that was basically the reason, of course, there's all kinds of ins and outs and different streams again and all of that. But basically, that was the reason for the introduction of the euro. And the euro has been around for, it's, it's about 15 years old? Was it around the turn of the millennium that the euro came into, into effect, did it not? Absolutely. Um, the euro was first agreed upon in the Maastricht Treaty, um, which was signed in 1992. Um, Maastricht being a town in the Netherlands where this treaty was negotiated, and also a town um, which is connected to your name, by the way. Yes. Mark van der Maas, which yes. means from the Maas, the Maas River. Maastricht is on the Maas. Yes. Anyway, um, the Treaty on European Union was agreed to in 1992 in Maastricht. In other words, until 1992, the EU was not called the EU. It was called first the European Coal and Steel Community. That was the first predecessor to the EU. That's a little less romantic. Yes. Then the European Economic Community. Mm-hmm. Not quite romantic either, but at least a little bit shorter. Moving in the right direction. Then even shorter, but still not all that romantic. European Community, maybe a little bit more attractive. And then from European Community to European Union as of 1992. So the Treaty on European Union was negotiated in, in Maastricht. And in that treaty the member states agree to introduce a common currency, the euro. The euro, and to set up a European central bank, which would make, make and manage the monetary policy in all of the countries that had the euro. So they were taking monetary policy away from the national central banks, like the German Bundesbank, for example, yes, and, and bringing it up a level higher to an EU bank that they were going to establish, the European Central Bank. And this is this is headquartered in Brussels, correct? This is headquartered in Frankfurt. Frankfurt, I'm sorry. That, I'm was sorry. A, that was a concession to the Germans who had the most to lose, they thought, by agreeing to the introduction of the euro. And in fact, what they thought in 1992 about having the most to lose actually has come true, <laughs> as we know, because the Germans are the main payors for countries such as Greece who've needed bailouts. Yes, yes. Now the 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 euro upon its introduction um, gradually I think for for quite a while it actually gained strength it was it was quite strong as opposed to the U.S. dollar and things seemed to be going well and then uh, as everyone knows we hit two thousand eight which was a crisis point for pretty much the entire world in terms of finance and since that time we've kind of been dipping in and out of of minor to moderate crises within Europe specifically. Um, and it seems as though Europe has been divided into sort of the, the northern tier of countries, uh, pre- predominantly Germany, of course, uh, which is the largest uh, of, the, of the stable European countries, I guess we could say. And then there are the other countries that it has come to light have sort of fudged their numbers a bit to get into the euro um, and have been living uh, a kind of uh, profligate financial lifestyles uh, over over the years. And now since 2008, a lot of the bills are starting to come due for that. 
Greece is is a, is one of those countries that that has been a, a flashpoint for the euro over the past couple of years, and perhaps you can walk us through the series of governments and the series of crises uh, crises that Greece has has faced. It starts, uh, I think, back in our, around two thousand ten. That was was really when Greece started facing major crises. Is that correct? Yes, the first bailout was agreed to in two thousand ten. Yeah, so that was under the government of uh, George Papandreou, right? And he was, uh, Papandreou uh, was center-left. He, he was a, a center-left government, but he agreed to austerity terms uh, to try and bring Greek spending under control and to uh, basically get Greece on a solid financial footing. Yes. Uh, Papandreou's government fell then, uh, and a center-right government was elected. And you'll have to remind me of who was the leader of the center-right government there. Antonis, I believe, is his first name. Samaris is his last name. Now, Samaris uh, continued the austerity policies, essentially. In fact, it was yes. a little bit more serious about austerity, as I recall, than uh, Papandreou's government. And now we have reached a point where the Greek electorate has uh, done an about-face again, and we have now a Greek prime minister who is of the left, yes. who ran on an explicitly anti-austerity uh, platform, yes. a, a very populist, very left-leaning government that said, essentially, we are not going to accept austerity. We are going to start spending again the way we want to spend. Um, this obviously is going to cause some problems between the Greeks and the Germans, correct? Yes. And so now we have a situation where in Greece, we have a government that is going to reject austerity, and we've, we've hit another crisis point. Uh, in the uh, the long saga of the Greeks and the Euro. And right. so now the question is, uh, on the 24th, uh, which was, uh, as we're recording this, it was Tuesday, um, we we were all expecting horrible news to come out of Europe that Greece and, and, and the European Union were at loggerheads. And suddenly, it seems we have um, Cyprus... Uh, or Cyprus, the, the new prime minister of Greece, walking out of a meeting saying, we've got a deal for four months and we are going to accept some austerity. What in the world happened this week? Well, let me try to outline it um, a little bit. Um, first, let me say that, you know, the euro was agreed to in 1992 with the Maastricht Treaty. It was actually, euro notes and coins were actually introduced 10 years later in January 1, 2002. So we've now had a little bit more than a decade of actually paying you know, with yep, euros with that you can money. see yep. rather than with uh, national currencies that used to exist. As you said, the financial crisis that started in the United States became a global financial crisis. And with that came the Great Recession. Um, and with the Great Recession came great problems with the countries that were in the euro in, in Europe, but that were less developed and less productive than the stronger, more developed economies, which generally are the northern countries, Germany, the Netherlands, Austria, Finland. The other northern countries in the EU, by the way, do not have the euro, so they're not part of this mix. Denmark, Sweden, and the UK, Great Britain, do not have the euro. Mm -hmm. So there was this, there's this huge economic cliff, really, in terms of levels of development and levels of productivity. Um, and control of budgets um, between the northern EU member country, Eurozone member countries, and the southern Eurozone member countries. The country that is probably the least developed or the most different, let's say, from the northern uh, countries is Greece. 
So when the financial crisis happened, the Great Recession happened, um, Greece and many other countries were um, faced by lower tax revenues, higher welfare payments because of higher unemployment. Um, in other words, their budget's going kind of the wrong way in terms of accumulating all kinds of debt and having bigger budget deficits. That's compounded by the fact that um, in Greece, there's a whole lot of problems anyway with collecting taxes. Um, True. Also, pensions and so forth in Greece are very, very generous. So the problem was greater in Greece than it was in other countries. Investors started to wonder, um, am I going to get my money back if I invest in Greek bonds, which are basically ways of loaning the Greek government money to function? Yep. So investors were becoming more and more wary of buying Greek bonds. That meant that the interest rates that Greece would have to pay in order to get people to buy their bonds were higher. That exacerbated the debt problem with Greece. It made it unaffordable, basically, in the long term for Greece to raise money to service its debt and to keep functioning. Then came when uh, the uh, rating agencies, the debt rating agencies, rated uh, Greece's bonds as junk bonds, gave them junk status. That's basically when things really got to the point where something needed to be done. Mm -hmm. So the Eurozone members got together and agreed on a bailout for Greece where the stronger European Union um, economies would basically bail Greece out in return sure. for all kinds of measures that Greece would have to take in order to get its economy on a better track generally known as austerity measures. Yes. Know, cutting the budgets, raising taxes, um, cutting pensions, firing civil servants that weren't needed, and so forth and so on. And Greece has a lot of civil servants. They do. They have a lot of <laughs> civil servants. And, you know, it has to be said, there's often a tendency to kind of side with the Germans, let's say, in this thing when you're looking at it from, from the outside. But the fact is that Greece and the Greeks have suffered tremendously under the situation. Now, whether the Germans could have or should have done anything different than what they did is a separate question. Sure. Nevertheless, uh, in Greece, basically, uh, you have unemployment around 25%, incredibly high unemployment, yeah. and youth unemployment of people 25 and under of more than 50%. Which is unimaginably awful. Absolutely. Terrible. Uh, the suicide rates are going up in Greece. Um, things are, are really, really bad in Greece. They really, really have suffered mm -hmm. under the austerity measures that they've had to take in order to get the bailouts. Um, whether their suffering would have been any less is, again, a separate question. Well, Todd, it seems like what we're, what we're left with is that the euro right now is a mess financially, economically. It's a mess. But is it, isn't it true that a big part of the problem that we're facing here right now goes back to the founding of the, the, the founding idea of the euro, which is that it's, as you mentioned earlier, it's not necessarily an economic project. It's a political project. It's an effort to bring Europe together and to integrate Europe. But it wasn't, uh, it, 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 it leads to other consequences when you take all these disparate countries of disparate cultures and you try to bring them together under a common currency. That, that's going to create its own problems, isn't it? 
Yes, and I think that's what is key to understanding this whole Eurozone crisis that's been going on for the last five or six years and the whole crisis as it continues with Greece. The roots of it are political. The Euro is introduced not for economic reasons but for political reasons in order to force political union among the EU member states that most everyday Europeans, most voters in the European Union member states did not want or at very least had very little enthusiasm for. Sure. Political union was not happening. That's what the European Union elites in general wanted. They wanted a politically unified Europe, something like, not quite a, the same as, but something like a United States of Europe, sure. a European superstate. It wasn't happening. Italians were still Italians, considered themselves Italians. Spaniards were still Spaniards, et cetera, et cetera. So they thought, if we introduce a common currency, that will help in creating this European Union, European identity that we need in order to develop this political union that we want. Because you can't have a common currency without common fiscal policies, budget policies, monetary policies, et cetera, the heart of national sovereignty. We're now going to give national sovereignty in these crucial areas to the European Union by introducing this common currency. So that was the plan. And what they did was introduced a common currency to countries that were at very, very different levels of development and very different levels of productivity and very different kind of cultural values. Oh, yeah. Greece and Germany are, from what I understand, are somewhat different in the way they approach things, uh, the, the Greek culture and the German culture. Absolutely. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and so what I would argue is that not only was introducing the euro a political project primarily rather than an economic project, but also it was actually a decision that was made against the economic fundamentals. Hmm. Creating a currency union among economies that didn't fit together was done despite the economic pitfalls of such a thing because they thought it would force political union in order to avoid the economic pitfalls that would come if political union didn't come. Political union didn't come, and now you have the pitfalls because of the global financial crisis. And so what's the future? Well, whatever you want to say about the, the pretty radical left-wing government in Greece, one thing that you do have to say is that from the point of view of people who believe in democracy, the Greek people were saying in this latest election, we're tired of having Germany, France, Netherlands, European Central Bank tell our governments what to do. We elected our government. Our government should do what we want them to do. So it was a very legitimate, in my view, reaction of the Greek people to having lost sovereignty over their own government. And now what we have is a situation where the crisis has been maybe postponed for a little bit, but it's going to continue. And the job of the new Greek government is going to be walking the tightrope between staying within the Eurozone in order to avert even worse economic crisis sure. than what they have now, 
and satisfying their electorate who elected them in order to do away with the austerity policies that the other Eurozone governments have forced on the Greeks. Whether they can do that is certainly an open question. I believe that if Greece does leave the Euro, probably the Eurozone without Greece will survive. In other words, it probably won't be kind of a domino effect where first Greece falls and then Spain and then Portugal. Sure. That probably won't happen because the Eurozone governments have been thinking a lot about how to avoid that happening. Sure, yes. Yeah. But it'll be unpredictable, actually, in terms of what happens in Greece if they have to go back to their former currency, the drachma. People are going to lose all kinds of money, of course, because suddenly the money that they have that's in euros will suddenly have to be in drachma, and that's going to be that's going to mean they're going to lose a lot of the value of their money, Greek businesses, Greek private people, etc. So, you know, what's going to happen in Greece, uh, including the possibility of political unrest, is, is very unpredictable. And what will happen to the European Union is also not really predictable. Yes, you can kind of decide, okay, we're going to eject Greece from the Eurozone, and we can kind of firewall uh, the other Eurozone countries in order to keep their economies from faltering so they'd have to also leave the euro. Maybe they can do that economically. But the political ramifications of all of this are tremendous. And the ironic thing is the euro was meant to force political union. And now it's exactly that, the euro, that is endangering this 65-year-old dream now of European political union because it's creating tensions between the weaker and the stronger economies in the Eurozone that are unprecedented. Todd, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today about this. Obviously, this is a situation that's ongoing, and we're going to keep monitoring it here at the Acton Institute, and we'll have uh, you back here on Radio Free Acton, and we'll have others here to talk about it as well as the, uh, as the events unfold. So thanks, Todd. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Well, that is our podcast for today, folks. Thank you so much for joining us. Once again, I want to thank Todd Heisinga, Acton's Director of International Outreach, who did a fine job on the podcast. He uh, has a wealth of international experience, and it's always great to be able to have a person like that just run downstairs to the Acton studios and talk with us uh, when we confront a situation like we have in Europe right now. And, uh, and frankly, around the world, we'll be drawing on his wealth of experience and, uh, and knowledge as these uh, world situations continue to unfold throughout uh, the course of the year. Thank you for joining us once again. Uh, it's always great to have you along with us when we have new editions of Radio Free Acton, and there will be more forthcoming, so stay tuned to the Acton Institute Power Blog at blog.acton.org, and uh, keep spreading the word about Radio Free Acton, folks. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day.